0: really 12 months uh, since we started. John Hardeman and myself have been teaching a class on the Old Testament. We did it the first 12 weeks in the summer and another 12 weeks we just finished last Sunday. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, parts of Scripture that we don't spend a lot of time in uh, typically and, uh, and it was just a, a great opportunity to dig into those. But... Uh, Splitting it up the way we did, we start at Genesis and we come all the way through to Esther, and then we begin in Job and we come all the way through to Malachi. We actually went beyond Malachi into the Apocrypha. And it's a little depressing. Because if you start in, in Genesis, right, everything's perfect, right? Everything is good as God creates it. And by the time you get to the end of Esther, Esther is in captivity in Assyria. And and so the uh, no, not Assyria, Persia, in, in Persia. And so you've gone from what was good to God's people now being scattered and spread and, and captive. Okay, and then you begin with Job. Now, Job is not a great place to begin. Uh, you know, things certainly start out well, right, for him. And, but by the time you get to Malachi and, and those prophets at the end, Ezekiel is in exile because the prophets overlap with those books of history. Ezekiel is in exile. Jeremiah sees Jerusalem. Destroyed Lamentations is a book of weeping and wailing. And and so, again, you move from what was good to what is, like, destroyed. And and it feels like something went wrong. And there are so many points of hope in those chapters, in those stories, uh, as we begin with Adam and Eve in the garden, And then even after the the fall of sin enters the world, we have Abraham as a point of hope, and Isaac and Jacob. We have Moses. We have different judges. We have uh, David, Solomon as the pinnacle of Hezekiah, Josiah, these people that, that just seem like, yes, we're getting back on track. There is hope that this story will have a good ending. And it doesn't. Gradually it descends into chaos and into captivity. Where did it all go wrong? Perhaps the answer that comes to mind for you is idolatry. They got caught up in idolatry. And there's some, some, some truth to that. That they were led astray, that they worshipped other gods, and as a consequence, God... Uh, said if you'll be unfaithful to me there's going to be consequences and they go into Jerusalem is destroyed, the northern kingdom is dissipated throughout the Assyrian Empire and the rest are taken into Babylonian captivity. So that's certainly part of the answer but not the whole answer. Another problem that Israel encountered is they forgot their reason for existing. This one's a little more complicated. They forgot their reason for existing. They thought that they existed as a nation because God loved them in a special way. They, they, They developed this air of superiority. As they looked around at the other nations, they could say, well, I'm glad I'm not like those other nations. But we're God's chosen people. Nothing's going to happen to us. Enemies can come, storms can come, famine and plague can come, but we're God's people. He will protect us. Abraham was our father. He has a covenant with God, and we're going to enjoy the benefits of that. And so that is true. They were God's special covenant people. But It's only partially In that covenant, Genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 God spells out some terms to Abram. He starts out by saying I'll make you a great nation. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, I could do with that. I mean I won't be around to see it but you know that still sounds like a good thing. And then I will bless you says God. And again I would like to Blessings from God, that's a good thing. I will make your name great. we are thinking, yeah, you know, I don't mind, good reputation, famous maybe. Maybe if I'm famous there's some fortune to go with it. I like this covenant. And you will be a blessing. You're like, of course I will. That's just who I am. I, and God continues, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I was like, oh, oh, that's, that sounds like some work there. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's a big, big task. So will you take a moment? And consider your own life and think, how has God blessed you? How has God blessed you? That was his promise through Abraham that all the peoples on earth would be blessed. God wants to bless the earth. How have you been blessed? Some of you are perhaps thinking about finances, or family, answered prayers, forgiveness of sins, good health. Since we're in church right now, I'm thinking of how some of you have come to Lawson Road at times of personal crisis, and how God has use this church to provide comfort, peace, hope, and healing. I'm not bragging about Lawson Road because that's God working through us, but this church has been a blessing for so many people over the years. Certainly not because I'm preaching here, but, but those, other, those people have come alongside those who are hurting, those who are struggling. And I can look down our contact list that we have and and think of story after story of people who've been blessed in times of grief, blessed in times of financial hardship, in seasons of doubt and health crises. God has blessed us. And he continues to use us to bless others. And so we see this same kind of covenant, these same promises, this same arrangement that God had with Abraham, very much applying to the church. Now, centuries later, you would think that that covenant is forgotten. And, And largely it was because Israel, as I said, had developed this mindset of, Remembering the, the blessings, but not the responsibilities. And so the prophet Isaiah comes along and he says, Hey, guys, you need to remember the whole arrangement. You need to arrange, uh, remember our reason for being. In chapter 49 and verse 6, Isaiah says, uh, quoting God, It is too small a thing for you, Israel, to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel's vision was too small. Their reason for existing was too small that it be about them, about restoring the tribes of Israel, about making them great. He said, no. He said, I will make you a light to the Gentiles, that God's salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. And that's just a retelling of that covenant God made with Abraham. When we read through the books of the prophets, we find time and again that they're divided into sections. The first section tells them of things they're doing wrong, ways they are um, offending God. And often it does involve idolatry. But many of the prophets, when they paint this picture of what the future can look like, what life can look like in God's kingdom, what God's kingdom looks like when it comes to fulfillment, it includes reaching out into the world. It's not just the kingdom of the greatness of Israel. It's saying God can restore the world to the way it was supposed to be. Whether it be the the picture of rivers overflowing from Zion into the the world, bringing healing to the nations. Uh, Other prophecies like Zechariah or Isaiah that that describe this uh, lion and the lamb laying together and and just the um, tranquility, the peace that God longs to bring. our world, to restore the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth. That's what God's kingdom can look like. A new world. The book of Acts tells the story. You thought I wasn't going to get there. The book of Acts tells the story of how the Holy Spirit energizes the spread of the good news of God's kingdom around the known world. But I think it can feel a little overwhelming at times. Okay. Um, maybe it's just me. But do you remember how many people were baptized at Pentecost? 3,000 Acts chapter 2. Okay. That was one sermon, 3,000 baptisms. I, I've been preaching here at Lawson Road 13 years. I haven't baptized 300 people, let alone 3,000. I've preached a whole lot more sermons than Peter the Apostle did. So it can feel discouraging to read through Acts, to see the march of God's kingdom, to see people giving their lives to God. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, Acts is filled with stories of powerful preachers. It's, it's uh, people like Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, Paul, Barnabas. These Preachers with powerful messages, doing powerful things. But I'm probably never going to preach a sermon. What's in the book for me? I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's what I want to talk about today. In Acts chapter 9, we meet a, a woman named Tabitha. Or Dorcas. Two names. One Greek, one Aramaic. And the headline of this story, as we read for us earlier, is that she dies. The Apostle Peter comes to visit, and she's brought back to life. Like, I mean, that's just incredible. And I'm not really going to talk about that very much. Um, I want to take a moment this morning to consider why Tabitha was so important. Why would people... He's so desperate for this woman to be brought back to life, which seems like a ridiculous thing to ask of anyone, right? If you, just to even send the messages, messengers, to, to say, hey, Peter, come, because we would like her to come back to life again. Why would you do that? I, I want to read just uh, verses 36 to 39. And they give us this description of Tabitha. And uh, pay attention to what it is about her. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And So we're not told much about her, but there are a few things that stand out. The first is that she was a disciple. She was a Jesus follower. She lives in a community of, of Jews. And yet, somewhere along the line, she has said, my salvation is not found in the uh, just in the traditions of Judaism, that I need to align myself with Jesus. The gospel had found its way into her life. And then we're told that she was, at the end of verse 36, she was always doing good. That's a, that's a pretty good description of somebody, isn't it? Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? Always doing good. She was always helping the poor. So often we think of, uh, so far as we've traveled through Acts, and uh, and again we'll see it next week, we think of crossing barriers with the gospel as involving uh, cultural and ethnic barriers. But here we see a socioeconomic barrier, that that Tabitha is always helping the poor. We gather from what they say in verse 39, as the widows are standing around crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them, that this was how she helped the poor, Uh, using her skills and her abilities to sew, to make clothing, and to give it to them. And the, the last point I have is that she was obviously part of a church because when she passes away, uh, in verse 38, um, it says, So when the disciples, the disciples, the other disciples, that would be the rest of the church, heard that Peter was in litter, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come once." So um, Tabitha is not living in isolation. She's not doing this in isolation. She is part of a faith community, part of a church family. Now, she wasn't a great preacher, so far as we know. She didn't travel to the ends of the earth to fulfill the Great Commission. But she was a woman of great influence to her community. She impacted the lives of those around her. And I think that Tabitha's relationship with her community sounds a lot like the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus would, was always doing good. Right? He hung out with the poor and was kind and compassionate towards them. He, made, he didn't make robes and clothing, but he healed them. He gave food to those who were hungry at times. And he was certainly part of a faith community. And so if Tabitha, I don't know if she was intentionally saying, I'm going to be just like Jesus, but if she could follow in his footsteps and in so doing impact her community in such a dramatic way without being a public figure, without having to stand in front of crowds. And I think there's something here for all of us to pay attention to. You see, just as Abraham and Israel would be a blessing to the world, I believe the church, you and I, share the same responsibility today. If we as a church forget our purpose for existing, then we shouldn't be surprised if the church suffers the same fate as the nation of Israel. And so um, I'm going to share a process with you. It's something that's uh, out of a book. It's not original to me. But it's a process of um, starting relationships, of investing in people, and ultimately uh, sharing the gospel with them, having conversations about, about our faith, about Christ with them. Because if we come to a point where we think that the church exists to be the church. That the church is God's special people, so God will always bless it. We've developed the same mindset that that Israel had. If, If church is always about how has it blessed me, how has God used the church to bless me, then we're in that same place. I think God would like to send us prophets and say, no, remember I called you with the purpose to be a light to the world, to be salt in the world. And if, if you close your blinds and your doors and you stay safe, then you're not living up to that purpose. And so these five steps and not original to me. You can go online and find other people preaching sermons on them or other resources. It's certainly not a magic bullet for sharing the gospel or doubling the size of the church. Um, Jesus is the magic bullet for sharing the gospel. But I think it's a simple relational process. It's like Jesus. It's like Tabitha. It's something that anyone can do. And so it's intentional. I think that's the first thing to notice that we're saying, I want to be used by God to share His love with those around me. Okay? And, and so we're using the acronym here, BLESS, as a way of helping to remember this. And the, the letters, the first letter, B, stands for begin with prayer. Okay? Begin. Prayer. We need to be praying for the people around us to find Jesus. I think of Jesus' ministry and how he began with prayer, right? He was baptized immediately after he prays. What does he do? Uh, after his baptism, what does he do? Where does he go? Into the wilderness. And what's he doing in the wilderness? He fasts for 40 days and prays and communes with God, focuses his attention, but also his relationship with his Father. And so we need to be praying to people around us to find Jesus. And, and I'll be honest, we don't set a great example at Lawson Road for this in our assemblies. No. It's not as though every Sunday we're, we're disciplined to, to pray for those in our community or in our neighborhoods. And maybe that's something we can, we should be working on uh, to, to be more intentional about. But begin with prayer, because this is not about our efforts. The church doesn't grow because of our efforts. The book of Acts is not just about the efforts of Paul. In fact, uh, there are some Bibles that call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I think the King James Version might have that in its original title. But a lot of people have have sort of over the years reflected on that and said, you know, a better name for it would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit that grows the church as people make themselves available to the Holy Spirit. So begin with prayer. The second thing is to listen with care. Look at that. It rhymes. Listen with care. And, And And so I think one of the the struggles that we have with many approaches to sharing our faith is that it turns friends, family, colleagues, it turns the people around us into targets. Uh, Can you set up a Bible study with a stranger in 15 minutes? Uh, Can you door knock and get that person through the doors at at church on Sunday? Um, and, And so people become targets and not so much people. And so what this methodology, what this process is doing is, it's not saying how to have a Bible study. But how do you let people around us know that God loves them? Because I think that's what we need to try and do. That's our message. And so listen with care. We are in a world that is filled with opinions, filled with noise, Filled with voices, and everybody, it seems, wants to speak. And, and if we as God's people will take time to listen to what people are saying, it's a great gift to give. And they may be our neighbors or our work colleagues or people we go to school with. But listening with care, with concern. To hear their doubts, their fears, their needs. To understand how they see the world. The next step, I think we should all enjoy this one. And we're getting to a point in our society where we can do this again. Right? Eat together. It seems a little strange. seems that like if you're being trained to think of Bible studies as how this is supposed to look, then, then this may seem a little unusual. Very casual. But remember, it's not about treating people as targets and and setting up Bible studies immediately. It's about investing in people and letting them know they're loved. And so I don't know if there's a better way of building relationships than eating together. And think, think of how important eating is for our most important occasions as a society. Thanksgiving. There's food. And there's other people, people that we love and that we care about. Christmas, food, family. Easter, food, and friends. Fourth of July, Memorial Day, food, cookouts, grills, whatever else you have at your cookouts. Friends, getting together, good times. Storytelling, sharing the experience and occasion. Um... Even the church, right? I think there's a reason Jesus said, I'm going to give you a meal. That when you come together as you fellowship with each other and with me, do it around a table. I'm not sure that we really honor the table in the way church has evolved over the centuries, but but that was Jesus' intent, that we come around tables and fellowship. Think of our biggest Sunday of the year, worship in the park, food, family, friends, spending time with each other, And so when we eat together with, with, when you invite somebody that you've never had a meal with before, you may have spent a lot of time with them, you may have waved to them across the street, you may, your kids may play sports together and have done for years. When you say, hey, I would love for you to come, and, and we're just grilling in the driveway, bring a lawn chair and just sit around with me. Right? You don't have to get out the china and the silverware. But it, it, it could be coffee with a colleague during lunch or after work or something. I mean, there's, there's so many different permutations on what eating together might look like. That it provides an opportunity to connect, to share life, to share stories. And, and I think here's the really good thing, is that often we think that this is all about me because I'm the Christian blessing somebody that isn't a Christian. But what we're going to discover is that there are other people that have... have, have um, ways of blessing us. God will use them to bless us in the resources that they have that we don't. Uh, it brings us to the next one which is serve with love. Serve with love. Because as we come to, to learn of their needs we become aware of ways that those needs can be met. Of ways that we can help them and care for them. Because if we love them as we get to know people as we love them then we can't just walk away from their needs and go, oh, I'm sorry, your life stinks like that. That must be really hard. Coffee next week? Right. We, we find ways to serve them. And because we're part of a church family, then, then we have opportunity maybe to involve other people that we know in their lives. You know, because we may not have all those resources, but our church family may. And so we serve with love. But as, as I said, also they may serve us. And we should be open to that, to giving them meaning and purpose and and recognizing that that relationship is being built and that God is still at work, whichever way that goes. And then ultimately there comes a point where we share our story. And and so part of this question is, do we have a story to share? Do we have a story to share? How would you describe the significance of your faith to you? Are you just going to go for coffee for a year and, and not be able to talk about faith? Because faith is in a box that belongs on Sunday morning. But can you, in a, a minute or three, can you just say, hey, look, this is why I'm part of this church family. This is why I'm a Christian. This is how God has helped me. And, or you're going through a really difficult time. Here's what I've found helpful or a friend has found helpful. That, that God isn't just a book. God is, God's message is a book, but the gospel isn't the Bible. The gospel is a person. The gospel is Jesus. We sang the song that we are the body of Christ. And and so as we live our lives, we embody the good news of Jesus and that the God's story continues to be told through and so we have this opportunity to bless, not to convert, not to Bible bash, not to highbrow, or, but, but to bless those around us because that was what God told Abraham that he would do through him, to bless all the nations. Can you picture Tabitha taking time to pray and say, God, I'm so grateful for Jesus in my life how can I share your blessing with those around me? And as she looked around her town, she was probably a fairly well-to-do person. She has a house with an upper room. She has the resources to give away clothing. And so she looks around her town, and she sees these widows that have needs. She gets to know them. They're not just a project. And as part of getting to know them, she eats with them. They gather at her house. It was a place that they came to often. She uses her resources, her abilities to sew, to give away robes and other pieces of clothing to meet the basic need that these women experienced. And along the way, they ask her, why are you doing this? Why are you so kind to us when other people walk away as they see us coming? And so she tells them about Jesus, who didn't walk away when he saw her coming. And so when she died, the disciples, the widows, hoping for a miracle that God would bring this disciple of his back to life. And they send for Peter because Peter has a connection to Jesus because they believe in the power of God to restore life. We'll come back to this BLESS acronym in in future weeks. But I wonder... This week, can you commit to that first step to praying for people around you who don't know Jesus? You might have specific people in mind. You might pray for family members. You might pray for friends or colleagues. But maybe it's people you haven't met yet. Maybe it's, it's not even people. Maybe it's a house. Maybe there's a house in your neighborhood. Or maybe there's a neighborhood on a different street to you and you just want to pray for that neighborhood or that house that seems to have a lot of turnover or a lot of trouble and, and you pray that God can somehow use you to make a difference, that God can prepare a way for His Word. You don't need to talk to anyone this week. Maybe your prayer is simply for God to show you opportunities to help you recognize people that, that need him in their lives, to show you people that you can bless. I believe Isaiah's words apply to us also. I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, Acts is a book that can be discouraging and overwhelming. I think Tabitha, though, gives us some encouragement that the church really didn't spread and grow because of Paul or Peter or the apostles. Yes, they did some important work, but it grew because people that were in the churches that they planted kept their faith, kept being a blessing to those around them long after Paul had moved on to the next town. And that's something that all of us can replicate. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just... I want to thank you for the ways that you bless us, the, the ways that you have involved yourself in our lives over the years, ways that we don't deserve, where life was difficult, times were hard, we were struggling with different things, but you found ways to speak into our darkness, to show us a way forward, to give us the strength to walk with us. Uh, sometimes through your words, sometimes through your people, we're thankful for that. Father, we know that we're not the only ones that feel that way, that have those experiences, but there are others all around us who need you in their lives because their lives are hard and their struggles are, are deep. Lord, please guide us to, to genuinely love and care for people that we encounter, to, to be willing to get to know them, to make space in our lives for them, and to ultimately share your good news with them. Father, we want to see your kingdom grow. We want to see your, your kingdom uh, take place in this world that is so divided, so conflicted, uh, filled with so much hurt. And I pray that you allow us to be part of what you continue to do in this world to this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.